Greetings and welcome to Fresh Text. Fresh Text is a weekly podcast where a pair of pastor scholars study a scripture passage drawn from the Revised Common Lectionary. We hope it will be enjoyable and edifying for all, but especially equipping for pastors or teachers who are preparing sermons or lessons in the upcoming weeks. I'm your host, John Drury. I'm discipleship pastor for Indiana Wesleyan University in Marion, Indiana. And my guest this week is Joy J. Moore. Joy is a professor of preaching at uh, Luther Seminary up in Minnesota, and she's a pretty regular guest here on the show. She's been uh, on a little bit more frequently lately. I've loved getting her in a regular rotation. Uh, she's a dear friend and a wonderful preacher and a fantastic uh, student of the scriptures, uh, having been trained in both New Testament studies and in homiletics. She's really a, a perfect fit for this show, so I love having her on. So she's on again this week. And we are looking this week at John chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. John 3, 1 through 17 for the second Sunday of Lent in the year 2023. So, so great to have her on to look at this classic text from the Gospel of John. If you find yourself enjoying the show today, press the share button on your podcast player app of choice and you can shoot a text or an email or put on social media. Let other people know, hey, I love this show. Uh, let them know about it. Uh, the best way for the show to get around is word of mouth that way. And uh, if you'd like to support the show, just go to patreon.com slash fresh text and find ways there you can support the show. So thanks for listening and enjoy this conversation with joy. So John 3, verses 1 through 17. John 3, 1 through 17. What version do you say you picked? I'd like to read it from the New Revised Standard. A couple of lines in there I want to capture. Great. Go for it. So a familiar passage from chapter 3, reading through verse 17. In the New Revised Standard Version, we hear these words. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with that person. Jesus answered him, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I say to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I had told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe 
if I tell you about heavenly things. No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son so that anyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Thus far, the word of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Father, we ask that your spirit would blow among us today. We're not going to know where it's coming from or where it's going, but we can hear its sound, its voice, the wind of God, the breath of God, the spirit of God. And so we entrust this time that we've set aside. We entrust it to you that uh, as Joy and I converse and as others listen in and reflect on the scriptures for themselves and for the people that you have allotted to them, that God, your spirit would blow, that there would be some guidance, some nudging, some leading, some insight, some testimony to what we've seen and heard May we see and hear you move so that we do not end up like Nicodemus, teachers of Israel who do not know these things. May we be those who know, if only glimpsing, but a genuine glimpsing so we can bear witness. So God, we entrust this conversation to you for the sake of your people. We ask this all in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So Joy, what, uh, what stands out to you today as you look at this text afresh? Well, you know, uh, it's this is one of those that it's kind of hard to look at freshly because we know it so well, and we know it uh, largely around uh, verse 16 in this chapter. And uh, I'm so grateful that you kept the reading through uh, verse uh, 17 because we sometimes forget in our familiarity that these texts are breaking up of chapters and verses was not the way that they were originally Uh, left for us. Uh, And so, they're not neatly broken up in this way. So, uh, thank you for including that full verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And uh, starting backwards, I guess, by starting at the ending of our reading, John in his writing does not use the term salvation very often and doesn't use the term kingdom of God compared to to the other uh, gospel writers. Where those terms are appearing all the time, even sometimes the word for healing is the word sozo, save. By your faith, you have been healed slash saved. Yeah. So those are both really common terms in the other gospels, but appear very seldom in John. Yeah. But John's word is life eternal. Yeah. Yeah. That's what John continually talks about. I've come that you might have life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the bread of life. Over and over again, life, uh, Zoe, is um, used over 50 times in John's writing. Wow, 50. And kingdom is 
Is this the only place in John? I'm trying to remember. Is there a couple other references? It's very few if there are others. Yeah, this may be. Yeah, yeah. But life is over 50 times. <laughs> and, and it interchanges between life or eternal life, which is a big deal because um, a lot of times when we use the word eternal life, we think after death. And so life would mean now. And uh, John uses that interchangeably because all of these references have this idea of the work that the incarnation does, the work that God in the flesh, the word made flesh does among us. And uh, it brings life. So I'm going to try and do a pairing right here. We ended John chapter 3. On verse 17, where everybody thinks we remember John 3.16, I want to put another verse from the Gospel of John into our imagination. And that is from John chapter 17, verse 3. Oh, yeah. Okay. John 17.3. You remember that one? That's <laughs> praying. And the disciples are overhearing this prayer. And it is in that verse that it is recorded that Jesus says and this is life eternal. This is eternal life, that they may know you, he's speaking to God, they may know you and the one whom you have sent, referring to himself, the word made flesh. So life eternal is to know God. And that comes full circle in this whole conversation with uh, this Pharisee, this leader of Israel, this leader of the Jews who is trying to know. And so I, I just love how these 17 verses in this third chapter are just as rich with all the metaphors and all the meaning that John does throughout the gospel. That's so good. And that's there's a precise term, no gnosko, it's intimate personal knowing usually when John uses it. And importantly, that's the exact verb used here in verse 10. You are a teacher of Israel and you don't know these things. And at some translations will say understand because that I can't remember which NRSV did. And in context, that makes sense. But understanding makes it a little more intellectually narrow. I think no is the point. Like you are you are not acquainted with these things. You don't have personal acquaintance with matters of spirit and water, I think is really the focus in the moment. You haven't encountered these things. And interestingly, I mean, the parallel there is so powerful because, I mean, if that's the Lord's prayer, according to John, is that prayer, glorify your son, eternal life, that then parallels Lord's prayer, according to Matthew and Luke, which is thy kingdom come, thy will be done, daily bread. Those parallel one another and they're not mutually exclusive. They're just sort of different language for speaking about that incarnational reality that's happening now and coming into its fullness in the end. Yeah, so that, that prayer, whether we're looking at the uh, one that we're familiar with, Luke and Matthew, or this one, it is an acknowledgement of knowing that who God is and what God's intention for the world is. And we know that through Jesus, the Word made flesh, the incarnation, and it's about the life that God meant from creation. It's about the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. It's about what God 
intended as good as life being ours. And so we put our confidence in God daily. And, and that's different than just the rote sighting, but it's the actual, if I trust God because I know God, then I can trust God day by day. And that brings us this, I'm playing with this day by day because that brings us to something that is the beginning of this chapter. And we can, we can circle back certainly, but it says at the beginning, it says that uh, Nicodemus came by night. And another one of the big metaphors that uh, is throughout uh, John's gospel is playing with day and night, light and darkness. And, and so when Nicodemus comes at night, there's a darkness, there's a confusion. And when we get to a scene that is happening in the middle of the day, I'm foreshadowing chapter four. Do it. Go ahead. That's our text next week. So yeah, it's great. The woman who who gets it, she encounters Jesus in the day, in the middle of the day, at the height of the lightness. So John begins, he came into the darkness. He came to his own and they didn't see, they didn't recognize him. They didn't receive. So here's this encounter with flesh on it. Nicodemus in the night school academy gets his BA, born again. I love to play with those words. But Nicodemus comes at night and he's confused. He doesn't get it. Or does he? And I'll stop right there and leave that question hanging. I'll come back to it. Let's come back to that after a break. That's a perfect cliffhanger. Does he? When does he get it? Where does this actually end up for him? Let's take a quick break and come back and explore that some more. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with my guest, uh, Joy J. Moore, and we are looking at John chapter 3, uh, verses 1 through 17. I won't read the whole passage, but uh, let me just read a couple lines just to get it back in our ears. So there was a man. So I'm going to leave out the words, just the narratives, just for funsies, just to kind of get us going. Oh, great. And there was a man among the Pharisees, Nicodemus was his name, a prominent one among the Judeans. Uh, This man came to him, Jesus, at night and said to him, and he says a few things, Jesus replied and said to him, so we get a reply, just a verse long. And then Nicodemus said to him, asks a question. Jesus replied, then it gets a little longer. And then now verse nine, Nicodemus replied and said to him, and he asks a question. And then verse 10, Jesus replied and said to him. And then from 10 all the way to verse 21, a little past where our lectionary cut off, Jesus then speaks. So I don't know. Sometimes I, I just do, because we go straight to the words. Sometimes I just do the the narrative. Just, okay, who speaks when, how many times? I think we're looking at Nicodemus. You got an introduction. Nicodemus speaks. Jesus replies, Nicodemus again, Jesus replies, Nicodemus, and then a full length kind of set up. So it's about a three part, three back and forths before the long one kicks in. But each of Jesus replies get a little longer each time, of course. <laughs> so yeah, Nicodemus, what, what is the fate of Nicodemus? Where were you heading there? You kind of planted a seed. 
that. Let me let me say this. I love that 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 reading that way. I think uh, with me, that's the first time you've done that, and uh, it reminded me of this this scene. And this will lead us to answering the question that was the cliffhanger we left before the break. This scene makes it real clear to us not to determine people's identity with a broad stroke. So. We like to write off the Pharisees. We like to write off the leaders of the Jews. And so Nicodemus is just one that we want to say, ah, he he doesn't get it. He's blind, bad Pharisee. And yet Nicodemus is made the point to come to Jesus. And, you know, we always say he came to Jesus at night because he's hiding out. Or maybe he's busy. Yeah. And he continued to do the things that he was supposed to do, but he didn't want to miss out on having a conversation with Jesus. I love the way that it's been handed down to us that he was he was sneaking because he's trying to figure out who this is. But I also like the intentionality that he's carrying out his responsibilities, but he's not going to let those responsibilities prevent him from getting all that he can from Jesus, because he recognizes, he says, we recognize that you are sent from God because no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with that person. And so I think, one, we don't want to just say all Pharisees are bad. I think Nicodemus is a wonderful example of the fact that there were Pharisees and many other Jews who followed Jesus. That's why Jesus came first among the Jews, because that's where the promise was. All the nations will be blessed when the descendants of Abraham and Sarah are blessed. But the other reason that I think that Nicodemus turns around is because he shows up again. Twice, right? Chapter 7 and then 19. And then in 19. And in in 7, he's defending Jesus among the Pharisees. And in 19, he's with Joseph of Arimathea as Jesus' body is being taken down and buried. So that suggests to me that Nicodemus was convinced of who Jesus is by these signs that he's seen and this conversation where the light came into the darkness and daybreak broke into the night. That, that's just my reading of who Nicodemus is. Yeah, well, I love that you mentioned the night thing as night breaking into daybreak. So it, it's so helpful actually to remember that the Jews reckoned the day sundown to sundown. And so to place night can be that into which the light passes, which is I think what's happening in the Judas when it says he left and it was night. Ah. Okay, I think there. so that's parallel to this. But since this is parallel with the Samaritan and it's early in the gospel, I think we should see this as he's coming in the cool of the evening, which is actually, I I think that tradition, like you said, of him kind of hiding, there's an insight there, but we can, the text does not say that we can, we need to be careful about saying that's for sure what it means. Same with Samaritan woman. She was coming at noon. Most people came in the morning. This means she was an outcast. Maybe text doesn't say that we need to be careful. I don't think it's wrong, but let's be careful. Hold, hold it loosely. Hold that thought loosely. Maybe that's what's going on. And I think here too, maybe he's hiding or maybe this is when rabbis sit around and talk. This is a totally normal time to have a conversation in the cool of the evening. There's nothing 
uh, untoward about a nighttime conversation in principle. But the metaphor stands. He's at night. He doesn't get it yet. That's clear. But it could be that it just hasn't yet dawned. It could be the night that comes before the day. And then, of course, the woman the next day, clearly it does dawn for her. We get the narrative of that. We don't get that here. We have to wait. And maybe one of the lessons is not that Pharisees never get it. It's that it takes them longer, right? (laughs) Maybe he has more boundaries, more because he's got all of his own ideas and perhaps also wealth and for sure power that make the conversion harder. And that's exactly the conversation that's taking place here. He's asking a question and he's already recognized the signs, you know, that that are beginning to happen. And yet... I need you to break this down. I'm a, I'm a person of thoughts. I'm a person of words. I'm a person of teaching. Teach me. So he's open, which is consistent with what it would be to be a lawgiver and a law receiver, a teacher of the law. But it it is a, 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 and to be a learner. But it it also means that there's a caution there not to be thrown away to to use an epistle with every wind of doctrine that is out there as popular as the crowds following Jesus may be. So maybe. Yeah, and Jesus was mostly a popular figure at this point, although people suspicious, the crowds are pretty jazzed. There hasn't been the schism over him that starts by chapter seven, where there's really, he becomes a much more controversial figure. I mean, he's already had some controversy at this point, but it clearly, it it ramps up over the course of the book. Right. And it's in that chapter where Nicodemus is the one who says, now, wait a minute. Yeah, let's, they make fun of him and say, oh, are you from, you must be from Galilee too. You know, he's like, he's yeah. <laughs> so it's a, a powerful piece to look at all of these metaphors that John is working through, uh, these signs, this promise of life and this discussion. So the translation that I read didn't use the familiar born again. And uh, I, I used a little joke that um, a Nicodemus came to the Knight Academy to get his BA because I do believe that uh, this idea of what it was that Nicodemus didn't understand is not the way that Christians interpret water and baptism and born again as salvation. But for Nicodemus, it's very likely water was physical birth and spirit was heavenly birth. It was birth of God. And so Jesus is saying, a uh, physical birth, that's all humans can do. But spiritual birth, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. And so we're not talking about baptism, which is the work of the Spirit. God does in us something in baptism. That's that, you know, we don't do baptism. Baptism is a sign of what God has done in Christ Jesus. And so rather than read this as a uh, baptism water, read it as human birth, waters of birth, and therefore the distinction of the work of the Holy Spirit to give us a glimpse of the glory of God that is in the incarnation, that is in Jesus. Yeah, so I think I hear you saying that there's kind of, so like in verse five, when it says, unless you're born, unless one is born from water and from spirit, they're not able to enter into the kingdom of God. There are those kind of two births signaled there, right? The natural birth, of course, you have to exist, but then there's this second birth, this regeneration that comes by the spirit. Um, It's not going back into the womb again, as he heard. 
as he took that. But then, and then verse six, I think would many ways confirm that because says that which is born of flesh is flesh and that which is born of spirit is spirit. And this isn't to say there's two kinds of people, some from flesh, some from spirit. Maybe it's saying just as the word became flesh that of course there's flesh that you're from, right? But then are you also born of spirit? Is that kind of how I'm hearing you say it? Because then, and then the water language completely drops out the rest of the passage. And he just talks about spirit or wind. And then the little metaphor of the way the wind blows, it's the same word, spirit, pneuma. I've toyed with sometimes even translating this, just leaving it wind right out of the gate in verse five, right? Because we say water, right? You know, unless, you, unless one is born from water and from wind, which makes them both kind of concrete, you know, metaphors. Alliteration, love it. <laughs> also, that's very nice, right? And then that which is of flesh is flesh. That which is born of wind is wind. So then it almost helps you kind of hear it weird. Like, what? What's it mean to be born of the wind? Because that's about what it sounded like. We, spirit has become yeah. a religious word that we've lost its oddity. You know, how can you be amazed at these things when I say that you must be born from above? And then all of a sudden above makes sense because that's where the wind blows in the air, right? And then the wind blows where it wills, right? So then, then it goes straight into the parable in verse 8. And then we think also of John's introduction, the prologue that begins with this metaphor toward creation. In the beginning, okay, I know my scriptures. That's going to bring up to any good Jew the Hebrew text in the beginning. And yet that's where the wind over the waters. Bingo. Yep. It's a similar, I love that. It's a similar kind of metaphor that would be the kind of um, poetic writing that John does. And the poetry makes in the moment, like it's both poetry and narrative because it's poetic, which Mary Brown, bless her heart from college, uh, taught creative writing poetry here when I was in school and her just the thing she always pushed us on was concrete, right? Make sure your language is concrete, not abstract, right? And you're in college, which is when you're learning all these abstract nouns, right? You know, you know, communism and capitalism, right? You're learning isms all the time, right? And you're, you're speaking abstractions, you know, economics, existentialism, uh, ontology, you know, you're like learning these words, these abstractions. And then she's like, no, say something concrete, you know, like wind, <laughs> dirt, flesh, yes. right? And sometimes John gets the, the rap for being the more philosophical of the, the gospels, but I think it's because he's deep, but actually his language is very concrete. And sometimes it's the translations that render them more abstract or just a history of the kind of religious layers that have been attached to these words that would have been just concrete, jarring, poetic terminology. But then the narrative makes more sense because then Nicodemus's confusion isn't just kind of out of the blue. Exactly. How would he be confused about a term that became popular in the 20th century? It clearly, that wasn't what caught him off guard. Yeah. What do you mean I go back into my mother's womb? You know? <laughs> that, that's concrete. Yeah. Well, before we take a quick break and come back, I'd love to just check in real quick. Verses 14 through 15, less famous than 1617, which a lot of people memorize. But 1415 have a very similar structure. There's something that kind of happens and then life, it's the, the life eternal appears there already. Is there anything you want to mention about that before we take our break about Moses and the snake and the wilderness and 
life eternal. And I don't know, I just wanted to give you a chance to riff on that for a second because I know you'd have something to say. <laughs> Absolutely. So there's this, again, this, this uh, drawing back to or drawing forward to being lifted up, just as Moses lifted up the serpent. And so what we have here is the concreteness, to use what we were just talking about, of the incarnation for bringing about life. And so just as Moses held up the serpent, so the son of man must be lifted up. And it points to what? The crucifixion, that what God is doing in Christ is about the death and ascension. So we talk about the death and resurrection, but it's death, resurrection, crucifixion, crucified, died, resurrected, and ascended. And that thread is what is caught up in these verses, uh, verses 14 and 15, that the eternal life, salvation is in Jesus made flesh, died, resurrected, and going back to the Father. And in all of that, John is saying, that's how we know. It also goes back to verse 13. No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven. So that foreshadowing of the ascension by the one who has come, the word made flesh, Jesus, the incarnation is a full circle of life to life eternal. Oh, that's perfect. That's perfect. So much, the whole gospel is being anticipated in the whole story and its depth is all being anticipated in this one conversation you get the sense that Jesus is both frustrated with Nicodemus insofar as he is a teacher of Israel who should be acquainted with the plan of God. But at the same time, there's also a kind of understanding on Jesus' part. He's like, I gave you some metaphors. I offered you some parables and you didn't get it. Here, I'll just give it to you straight, right? The son of man descends and ascends, is lifted up. He lays it out. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll make it explicit for you, but that's going to be even harder for you to swallow, you know? Eventually, Nicodemus comes around as far as we can tell, but. Oh, come on, John. You're a teacher. You're like me. Sometimes when I know a student is genuinely curious, but can't fully wrap their mind around a concept, I'm not frustrated with their questions. I'm actually energized by it. And when they're asking before I give them the, okay, the answer is. I give them some tools so that they never forget. So when the aha moment occurs, there are all of these little cookie crumbs that all of a sudden they go, okay, wait a minute. I need to go back because that was a cookie. That that wasn't just a crumb. I, I need that piece and I need that piece. Aha. And so I don't rate this anymore with Jesus being frustrated. I rate this with Jesus saying, all right, before I tell you the answer, I'm going to let you wallow in this. Ask another question. You got a good question. Ask another question. Keep thinking about this. You've been teaching. You, you've been telling other people. Now let me turn the tables on you. Ask the questions so that you understand when you hear the answer. And I think that's how Nicodemus had the aha moment. Yeah, sometimes when I'm in Bible study with my high school students, we'll play the tone game. We'll take a passage, a, a phrase, and we'll all go around and say, how does Jesus say this, the tone? Because I think I might be reading in 
more frustration into verse 10 than is necessarily there. Because what I'm hearing you say is almost a kind of, like you say, a turning the tables, a putting in his place, but in a kind of almost playful way. There's a playful way to read verse 10. You're a teacher of Israel and you're not acquainted with these things, you know? <laughs> you can put it with a <laughs> smile, you know? Like it's not necessarily frustration. It's, uh, I mean, there is an implicit critique. Teacher of Israel, not exactly a teacher of Israel, are you? Actually, you're a student, <laughs> but he's, but he's not, he's not kicking him out. He's, he's saying, I'll let you become my student. Right. And like you said, the answers don't get clipped. The answers get longer. So Nicodemus replies with another question and Jesus says, okay, you're in for the long haul. So I'll give you a little longer answer. How are you going to deal with that? I'm going to ask you another question if you're willing to answer mm-hmm. me. All right. I'm going to give you a longer answer. Are you willing to take that? Nicodemus is like, I got another question if you got more answers. And Jesus says, you're ready. Yeah, and it's so peculiar that the Gospel of John, though, it brings us Nicodemus later, although his exact relationship to the disciples is a little ambiguous. The choice, just to go back to that contrast one more time with the Samaritan woman, it, it seems important to the narrator of this Gospel that we get to see the harvest among the Samaritans that comes with her and then those who have through her. And here it just, it just trails off and it's left open. We don't know, right? you know, and it almost puts us in that position of Nicodemus to say, how are you going to respond? Yeah. Well, we might not have time for me to do the us language, but uh, I want to come back to foreshadowing uh, next week in, in chapter four, in uh, uh, chapter four, it begins, uh, and Jesus had to go through Samaria. Hmm. Well, not geographically, especially if you're a Jewish man, you're not going to go through Samaria, or as Josephus captures, unless you want to get there quickly, or if you've just read this conversation with Nicodemus, because in John 3.16, we read, for God so loved the world. So Jesus had to go to Samaria so that we would immediately understand that God, that Jesus coming is not just God's love of the Jews, but it is the love of the world. Jesus had to go to the world. Jesus had to go to Samaria. And when he gets there, just like we read in the other, uh, other, um, stories of, uh, of the uh, prostitutes and the uh, tax collectors and the sick and the hungry getting it. It is the Samaritans on the testimony of this woman. They get it. And that's the love of God to all the world. And so if you let me keep going on that, we language I was referring to, we have this, um, what verse is it? Oh yeah. It's weird. He switches into we at verse 11 and then the U's turn into plural there too. Yeah, yes, speaking to you, meaning Nicodemus and y'all's ilk, I guess. Uh huh. Or to us. Yeah. And readers of John, then and now, you know, so that, that plural just expands that conversation. And I appreciate you adding that all of those yous are plural yous. So Jesus isn't just talking. Uh, one-on-one with Nicodemus, just as we're going to see this woman's conversion becomes the conversion of an entire city. 
in this conversation, Jesus is talking about more than the intimacy of what's going to happen to Nicodemus as an individual. Yeah, it starts out with him. There's a lot of singular use, and then it just totally blows. There's a few plurals earlier on in the sayings, but then from 11 on, it's all plural. So it's almost like he's moving beyond just Nicodemus's own experience and inviting us in as listeners. Wow. God so loved the world. God so loved the world actually playing out in the life, not just as a prediction for later. Well, that's so great. Let's, let's take a quick break and come back and explore a few sermon starters. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with my guest, Joy J. Moore, and we are looking at John chapter 3, verses 1 through 17, some of the most famous verses and imagery in scripture and this conversation with Nicodemus Um, and the first of kind of a series here in the Lent readings this year, these little conversations with Jesus in the book of John. So we got Nicodemus this week, Samaritan woman next week and a few others along the way. But uh, yeah, so uh, let's explore some sermon starters where, where, I mean, we got so many threads that came in our conversation. A lot of those could be woven into a sermon, but what would be your focus for me at least i don't know tell me your prep but usually i have that moment when i'm like okay what's the main idea and then all the rest of the stuff i bumped into as i was doing my exegesis and my prayer and my thoughts and my conversations with friends those all kind of get subordinated either included but sub points you know what where would you really you know this year you know you can preach on this text every year but you know where would you really hone in in terms of either a theme or an image or a question, where, where, where are you feeling drawn? How is the spirit blowing today for you? Where would you focus, Joy? Just to really put you on the spot there. You are putting me on the spot. And the one that I would go with is uh, um, a sort of, as I hinted at, at the beginning as we started, this life eternal idea. What does it mean to have life? And if we are thinking that life is to know God and the one whom God has sent, then this is an opportunity for, for the one that is promised for all the world to know God, a Jew, the descendant of Abraham and Sarah, a blessing to all the nations. So life being encountered, knowledge of God being encountered by Nicodemus so that all the world will know life will know who God is and the one whom God has sent, which is a perfect setup, as we've already discussed, for why did Jesus have to go into Samaria? Because he said, for God so loved the world. So the Jews first, and when the Jews are blessed, I'm I'm echoing Genesis 12 here, when the Jews are blessed, all the nations will be blessed. And that's a different parallel than um, in the beginning God that that the way John opens up. So that that would be the way I would play with it. Life eternal is knowing God and the one whom God has sent. And when the Jews get it, the whole world gets to know life. Oh, that's beautiful. And I, I love the connection to, to John 4 there. And then also the language of knowing, we, we talked about that a little bit. I wonder if in terms of bringing it down personally to, to let Nicodemus be a way in for a congregation now to reflect then on what are some of the barriers to knowing, 
right? To knowing God, to eternal life now, not just as a, as a reward you get later for what you do, right? But a genuine intimate encounter with these realities. I, I just, I don't know, that would be one little way that I could develop that sermon a little bit and kind of speculate a little bit. What was it that was slowing Nicodemus down and what slows us down? Everything he already knew, everything, <laughs> already, everything that he was teaching, he had to sit in the cool of the evening with Jesus. When we talked about that is how we plan our sermons, but that's how we have to encounter Jesus uh, right now. Each one of us, we have to stop and ask questions like a child. We have to ask again, and we have to let Jesus speak to us in familiar terms where we re- are willing to question. I think I know what you mean, but what if I don't? And that's what's happening. I should know what you, what did you mean by that? But I don't. And Jesus said, you should know what I mean by that. And you don't, but I'll keep telling. And the beauty is that perhaps the, in the contrast with the Samaritan woman, she ends up having a certain advantage by what she does not know. Right. It's yes actually no. yes and no. I get, but he does say to her, let me pitch this. And then you tell me, he says, you know, we worship what we know. Use the same term. You speaking to the Samaritans, y'all plural, y'all. Uh, worship what you don't, right? You, you, there's a lack of knowledge there. And yet a time is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship in spirit and truth. There's this invitation to say that you, there is the invitation. No, she needs to know. But uh, the fact that she brings less to the table as a rabbi or whatever, like he has, is not actually a barrier for her. She's just as welcome. And in fact, apparently gets it quicker. And one wonders if Nicodemus takes longer because he, quote, knows so much, right? I get push it. Push back, I, though, push I, back. <laughs> like that parallel, but the reason that I jumped in, uh, and I hate that that's a but statement, uh, and the reason that I jumped in. There you in go, perfect. <laughs> is that she knew something else. Yeah. And so often what we will do with someone who hasn't uh, grown up in our uh, ecclesial family, if that's the denomination or the religious perspective or um, the community, uh, the economic status, uh, if they aren't familiar with what we're familiar with, we sometimes forget that they bring their own stuff. It's just not the stuff we bring. Yeah, yeah. In these two chapters, we see Jesus willing to have a conversation with whatever it is we bring. And so when she recognizes, oh my goodness, you know a little bit more about me than I, most people do, she shifts the conversation and said, you know, I can do, I can do holy talk too. But yeah. it's not the same talk the Jews would do. And Jesus isn't bothered by that. We as his disciples today should not be bothered by the familiarity or the difference of the questions that people who are seeking to know bring to us. Now, I, th- I think that's a good nuance, Joy, because I think I was, you know, I got to be honest. I think I've just got a lot of Nicodemus in my heart and I got to watch out for that. So, I mean, it's just so easy for me, both as a man, as a teacher of scriptures, you know, to, to identify with him. 
and to be, and there's enough humility to say it actually hurts him and hurts me that I know all this stuff. And, oh, I need to be open to the fact that this person over here who knows less, see, but I'm challenging it, but not really challenging. And I'm leaving the, I'm leaving the hierarchy in place and just saying, oh, the lower is better. Well, maybe it's not lower in the first place, John, right? (laughs) So that's the challenge that I appreciate you bringing in. That just, it's different knowledge. It's different, it's different assumptions, a different baggage. And Jesus transforms all of it, right? Doesn't matter which mountain you're at, right? Not here or there. He challenges it, both of it. And the spirit, we shall all worship in spirit, is an echo of this spirit uh, that is in, in chapter three. Yes. So it's not life after death. She can encounter Jesus and know God right here and now. Those, they both have the same invitation. And it's very clear. He even says, a time is coming and now is, right? When true worshipers will worship in spirit and the truth. But these really are a, these really are pair passages. They really do go together. And you really understand both more deeply when you play them off, both contrast and what's in common. I think you're helping me see what they share that they're different, sometimes different forms of the same journey rather than only a contrast. So, I mean, we're, we're kind of giving sermon starters here and, and I'm, I'm going to drop a couple of names. So I did my, my work with Joel Green, who's a, a Luke scholar. And Joel made me aware of how in the gospel of Luke, there's always a pairing, a um, the lesser known and the known, the named and the unnamed, a man and a woman, you know, a shepherd rather than a king, you know, and I, I really appreciated that pairing. My colleague, Caroline Lewis, who's a John scholar here at uh, Luther Seminary, she's the one that helped me to realize John does the exact same thing. <laughs> They're longer stories, so it's easier to miss longer. it. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Right. And and it, it was that recognition of, oh, my goodness, you know, there's a teacher, there's an unknown, there's a name, there's an unnamed, there's a man, there's a woman, there's a Jew, there's a Samaritan. It's night and noon. <laughs> it's all the same thing. Yeah, I'm thinking in particular in the synoptic tradition, there's that particular moment when Jesus is going with Jairus, a named man, prominent, he's yes. the president of the synagogue. And then is interrupted along the way by a woman, right? Who touches him, no name and Jesus. And he plays on that because then she tries to do it secretly and he stops and brings her into public eye. Whereas when he gets to Jairus, he kicks everyone out and does it in private. So there's that movement and they're both, but both 12 years as a 12 year old child. And she was suffering for 12 years. I never thought of how much this is parallel to that. It's harder to, because there's a story in between a baptism, it gets a little, you can lose it. But if you take your time with it, it's right there. And I, I mean, if anyone's preaching through these texts this, this season, to really do that work of the comparing and contrasting of these two and really do a kind of one-two punch as you preach on them, I think there's so much more that will illumine, even if it, the theme is still the same of what you highlighted, life. And what is life according to J- Jesus? He says it's to intimately know the father and the one he sent. So here's two stories of people coming to get to know Jesus, which is just is eternal life, right? What your barriers to entry might be vary because of your own baggage that you bring. 
right? And sometimes it's the very things that you think make you great are the things that are getting in the way. <laughs> and to tell the stories the way that you were acknowledging earlier, where you know you you kind of identified with with Nicodemus and kind of and yet still kept that hierarchy. To to work at preparing the messages so that you ask the same types of questions and let Jesus offer the same kinds of answers so that what John is doing that keeps these two stories parallel as opposed to what we tend to do, which is to put a hierarchy. And as a woman, it would be very easy for me to dismiss the man who's supposed to get it. And I don't want to do that. I want to do what Jesus did. And that is to be patient with anyone who is seeking life, because that's why the word came. The incarnation is about our knowing God and the one whom God has sent. Wow. Isn't that just pastoral work in general is, can be summarized in your phrase there, patient with all those who are seeking life. (laughs) That's that's great. That's a great line, Joy. Oh man. Well, I appreciate, I I, I appreciated you, you working against that. You right out of the gate, you were saying, you know, I'm tempted to just say Nicodemus, he doesn't get it. Let's go on to the Samaritan woman, right? That's right. I did it, didn't I? I was good though. You were, you were naming that and, and you're helping me kind of name that for me about how I'm wanting to kind of figure out what Nicodemus is getting right slash wrong. Cause I don't want to get it wrong because whether it's conscious or not, I'm going to just more naturally identify. Mm-hmm. So that's so illuminating. That's so helpful. Well, thank you so much, Joy. I've had a blast. I always love interpreting scripture with you. This was a really fun hour. Thank you. I always enjoy it. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. Thanks to all you listeners for listening. I appreciate it. Thank you for uh, Todd and Eric for their production work. Can't imagine doing this show without you. Thanks to Tom Adamson for donating the theme music. Thanks to the supporters of the show. If you'd like to support the show, just go to patreon.com slash fresh text. Find ways there that you can support the show. And with that said, say have a good preach and a great week. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs>